Hi, James. Uh, I don't want to ask. Uh, are you okay? Oh, I thought you were going to say Star Wars. No, your arm. You broke your arm. So the best part in Star Wars was when... Oh, my God. No. No, 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 no. You broke your arm. Um... I did break my arm, uh, so that's why we missed last week. So uh, apologies that that there was no podcast last week. Um, I did. I broke my arm. I, for reasons unbeknownst to me, put on rollerblades for the first time in years, which was <laughs> unbelievably stupid. And uh, and and I biffed, and I came down on my oh, hand, and oh. uh, yeah, I, I heard the bone break when I fell. Oh. So there was, at least it, it wasn't one of those horrible breaks where the bone sticks out of the skin or anything, was it? No, but it was displaced by like a good inch or so. Um, oh, I posted, man. I posted the picture on Twitter, which maybe wasn't very nice. Some people were, were might have been a little upset about that. Um, How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine. I just, I mean, I have one arm, um, and which is, which is problematic in general. I'm, I'm making a list of things that are surprisingly problematic that you wouldn't think about, like putting on deodorant. <gasps> Um, <laughs> I have a whole, I have a whole list, uh, but but certainly top of the list is typing. Um, oh, man. So yeah, so I I've been uh, going on a tour of dictation software. How's that um, going? Uh, Google Docs voice dictation. It's it's by far the best. It's approximately eight hundred and seventy six times better than uh, Apple's dictation. Wow. Uh, as in not even remotely in the same ballpark. Mm. Um, I, I, I haven't tried like dragon dictator or whatever, um, which is kind of the, you know, the long standing gold standard just because the Google, the Google version has been so good. Um, I see no, I'm, I'm very happy with it. So it's hard. I mean, it's, it, the hardest thing is, is more, I think I'm, I'm a little too wordy and verbose now cause it's, it's harder to be concise in, in some respects. Yeah. And, uh, so it, it's, it's okay. I mean, but fortunately, um, you know, Christmas is is coming up. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone! This will be our last podcast uh, for the year. Um, but also, you know, I'm only doing a couple of daily updates um, for the next couple of weeks, so that that should make things that hopefully the next week's gonna rest up. I'll still be in it through, you know, the end of January or something. But um, at least I can take a break for a little bit. But you're gonna mend in full. They're they're positive about everything. Yeah, yeah, everything everything should be fine. Um, I have a uh, I have a plate with screws holding the bone together, and then a pin in my wrist. Um, so, but uh, but hey, it is it is what it is. So I, I um, it's interesting you said that you you feel your writing styles changed as a result of having to dictate rather than type it. It's um, that's actually funnily enough something I can relate to a lot. When I was working on the book, uh, how will you measure your life? I I started off drafts. I was writing things out while I was typing them out and it was so frustrating. And I got so frustrated to the point where I actually picked up a pen and paper and it just seemed to flow. There's something about the medium through which you actually get your thoughts down that definitely affects uh, what it is you say. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think my, my writing style is a little different than most in that um, usually whatever I write, I've, I have the whole thing framed out in my head first. Mm. And then more the right. So it's almost as if the actual typing it is the second pass because I have the, I have, the, I have it like even down to like certain sentences already have, have kind of in my head. Mm. And so because it's the second pass, I'm, I'm 
editing constantly and rewording stuff constantly. Mm. And so usually by the time I get through, uh, the, the kind of going back through it isn't so much editing as it is, uh, um, you know, just fixing typos and, and, and words that I overuse and, and stuff like that. Whereas now it feels like the first thing coming out is much more of a first draft, uh, for, for very, because I'm not, it's harder to edit as I go along. And, um, and of course editing is a pain when you only have one hand. So, um, but it, it's okay. I appreciate the patience and forbearance of, of, of my, my readers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like I said, it is what it is. Well, on the subject of thanking people, it's, it's probably time to thank Wealthfront, uh, who are the sponsors of this episode. Wealthfront's an automated investment service built for the modern era, and it's making it easier than ever to invest your money well. How do they do it? Well, Wealthfront uses software instead of retail location salespeople and so on. So it can offer sophisticated investment advice at low costs that were previously impossible. It's exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than $2.5 billion under management. Check them out at wealthfront.com slash exponent to get up to $15,000 managed for free. And thanks to Wealthfront for sponsoring Exponent once, once again. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, um, so, so my, you, you, wrote, you wrote something. I wrote something, and, and my segue was going to be, and stop me if this is too unkind, given your, given your incredibly... Uh, uh, wise decision, intelligent decision, one might even say, to pull out the rollerblades. I was, uh, I was I inspired to write about artificial intelligence this week. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> that was terrible. I, I was, I was going to say that the the outcome was about the same, but that would have been a little harsh. Oh wow! So. <laughs> wow, yeah. So uh, it was very interesting late last week. But I, I I don't mean that by the way. Oh no no no! It, it was it was a oh. joke sitting there that I that I I thought it was a good one, so I wanted to reference it, and well noting that I didn't actually make it because it was, no 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 and, no no and not true. Go for it, go for it. It's all fair <laughs> in love and war. Um, it was interesting last week. Uh, a bunch of quite famous tech luminaries, including uh, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, uh, Sam Altman, and Jessica Livingston of Y Combinator fame. Um, and then a few other folks, including the Amazon Web Services people, all banded together to put quite a lot of money into an artificial intelligence venture known as OpenAI. And uh, they got quite a bit of press. Um, I mean, it's, it might have been a little bit of a slow news Friday, but it certainly lit up all over my Twitter feed. Uh, it, it was uh, It's notable for a couple of things, I guess, one of which is that their approach, uh, it's uh, rather than... Uh, keeping things in-house rather than keeping things proprietary, they've decided to very much take an open principle uh, with all the research that they do, hence the name. Uh, for example, they promise to share any patents that they might publish. Uh, they're encouraging researchers who work there to uh, share all the work, publish all the work that they do, not keeping it in-house. Um, it's also notable for the reasons why they decided to do it. Um, Elon Musk in particular has been uh, for at least 12 months, potentially even longer, quite public about uh, talking about the risks he thinks humanity faces from AI. 
Um, and this was one of the things that came out quite prominently in both their press release or their opening blog and also an interview that both Musk and Altman, who are the co-chairs of OpenAI, uh, they gave to uh, Medium, uh, which is a really interesting article. Um, what was also interesting, though, is that both you and I had quite different takes on their rationales for doing it. Uh, yeah, to say to, to, to say the least. <laughs> uh, well, well, <laughs> Why don't you why don't you go first and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So I the the thing that struck me first was that uh uh that the 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 openness. So these guys are not shy about solving big problems. I mean Elon Musk in particular uh, it feels like one of his motivations for pretty much every venture that he's embarked upon has been uh, it's it's this is the way the world should work. Uh, this is about something that humanity should be focused on, whether it's uh, creating solar power, uh, creating electric cars, uh, figuring out how to get uh, figuring out how to colonize space, so on and so forth. He's always been about big picture humanity problems. like it's always felt like that's been a driving force. And yet with without exception, every one of these guys, and the reason that they're they're rich and famous is because they've created effectively for profit enterprises. They've always focused on uh, creating uh, companies that have a profit motive involved. And yet, what came through so heavily in both the blog and also the uh, the interview that uh, Musk and Altman gave is that they were concerned that the profit motive might constrain uh, the ability of researchers working within those four walls to uh, to uh, what was the wording that they used? Since our research is free from financial obligations, we can better focus on a positive human impact. Now, for me, what what became quite concerning. And the question that I asked is like, well, what's that saying about everything else that you're involved in? I mean, there are a lot of other big ventures that you guys are doing and in typical Silicon Valley fashion. And, and I believe particularly Elon Musk, but all these guys, like they are motivated not just to make money, but to do good. But what is it about this problem that's, that's, that's caused them to say, you know, the approach that we've taken uh, in the past for all these other problems doesn't work here. We have to take a different approach. We have to remove the profit motive because there's too much of a danger. And it, it felt to me like that rather than, uh, so ostensibly they say it's about AI. Ostensibly they say artificial intelligence is such a hairy problem and the possibility of it going wrong is, uh, has such ramifications for humanity that this we need to take the profit motive out of this in order to make sure that what what is resultant is positive for everybody and we're going to share it with everybody so everyone gets the benefits. But it really struck me that when you boiled down the problem, what they were complaining about wasn't AI so much as capitalism in general. Like, how is it that we have such a gnarly problem that we need to remove the profit motive in order to ensure that it's successful and that humanity benefits? And I, I mean, I, it just, it, it feels to me to be a little bit naive because, uh, again, I, I, I would say that I'm not an expert in artificial intelligence, but those that are going to benefit the most from it are A, those who have the infrastructure to like the computing power to throw at it, and also the data. The data is immensely important in training AI and 
like when you think about it, the the companies that have or the, the entities that have both the most computational power and the most data are these companies that implicitly that these guys are concerned about, the Googles, the Facebooks, the ones that have the profit motive. And I guess I guess the point of my article was like, I wonder whether they're focusing on the wrong problem. I wonder whether what they're really complaining about is not AI, but rather the system that we're all operating in. And rather than uh, the the famous Thoreau quote, rather than focusing on a, a branch of the problem, they focus on the root, which is investing their incredible intelligence and all these resources towards getting helping to fix the system such that they feel confident that our system of resource allocation, i.e. capitalism, is able to to handle these gnarly problems that we as a race face. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you packed a lot into that. I, I did. Um, okay. Well, let's, 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 let, let's, let's back up. Uh, mm. okay. We'll start with you. So are you, what, what specifically are you object objecting to? Um, cause I, so I, at first, uh, are, are you, do you think that the problem is, do you think they have a problem with capitalism? Well, it, uh, and you agree with them, or you think they have a problem with capitalism and you disagree with them, or you think that they are not talking enough about the problems of capitalism? I guess I'm a little unclear what yeah, your so, take so on their I, take I guess, is. I guess, I guess the question that I that it caused me to ask is, what about this problem makes what them, problem uh, the problem of artificial intelligence? What about the problem of artificial intelligence makes them think that they need to create a not for profit in order to to solve the problem? Well, I think the answer is actually very obvious, and I think, and I mean, forgive me if this sounds cynical, Mm. but I think you're, and anyone who who is buying into this is being just a little naive, and 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 the issue is that this is a this is kind of a strategy one on one response to a dominant player. Um, If someone has a dominant advantage in a space. The smart thing to do, uh, it was so they're the leader, right? We'll mm-hmm. put it in disruption terms. They're fully mm-hmm. integrated. They have all the different pieces, and 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 they have a big advantage. So what's what's the appropriate response? It's you try to commoditize their advantage, make it a modular uh, alternative, and then trust that you know having competition at all the different layers and slash cooperation. Uh, will overcome that advantage. So in the case of artificial intelligence, you mentioned it in your. Uh, that data is is the key thing. Mm. So we have we have a situation here where um, the the biggest advances in artificial intelligence have come in the space of uh, machine learning. Which mm. I mean, there's there's quibble about whether that is technically artificial intelligence or not. But I think that's certainly where the biggest advances in computers kind of thinking for themselves ha- has has come. And the key to machine learning, first and foremost, is an overwhelming amount of data. And it follows then that the companies that have the most data have the biggest advantage. And this is why, for example, uh, a month and a half ago, uh, Google or a month ago, Google open source TensorFlow, which is their machine learning kind of system. Like they literally gave away the software that allegedly OpenAI is going to help create. Um, Why? Because the the software is the least important of the kind of triumvirate that you that you need the, the triumvirate being the software that that processes it 
the infrastructure on which the processing is done. And the most important thing is the data that is actually processed. And Google has such a dominant position in the first two that to give away the data, to give away the software is, is one, not really a loss. And two, they can reap the advantages of open sourcing, which is getting uh, getting lots of people working on it, uh, standardizing it, having students learn it so they, they come up there and know, know, know how it's worked. And three, and I think this this is a critical point, is uh, the best and brightest in the world like working on open things, not closed things. If there's a human element, there's a, I get to show the world my work aspect to it. And let's not be naive and pretend that doesn't matter because it totally does. Uh, I mean, I've gotten offers to go work for companies, right? And like, and get paid very well and sit around in an office and write strategy documents. Among the many reasons I don't want to do that is because I don't want it locked away and for only some executives to mm. see, right? Like there's, there's no question. There's, there's an, you know, dare I say narcissistic angle to having your work out there for everyone to see, mm. even if it's not the best way to maximize, maximize how much money you make. Um, but then also there's the fact that the way that science progresses has always been kind of a grand project, a collaborative project. It's not a single person, despite the kind of mythic idea of a single person in a lab, it's actually much more collaborative. It's people working together, building, standing on each other's shoulders. And so Google gets to, gets the advantage of the, the broad scientific process, the incentive angles of having it be open and it's all fine because they have what matters. So in, what do you do in response? What do you do in response to Google having what matters? Well, you kind of go all the way to the opposite extreme. So you, you start an open project that no one is going to quote unquote profit from. Well, now if you want to get, say, uh, just throw it out there, Apple on board, Apple is supposedly doing a self-driving car project. They're going to get lots of data. Say you want to get the other automakers on board, right? They, the, the Probably the single best means of collecting data for self-driving cars is all the cars on the road right now. Imagine if someone were able to corral all the various automakers in the world to share their data. That'd be pretty powerful. Guess what? No one's going to share it with Tesla if Tesla is using it for profit, Right, it, it, it people are only going to even be tempted to share and to cooperate if it's for something that's completely open, right? And then and and so Google and then you comes to the best and brightest in the field. Uh, Google has you know Google already has open source. Well, what can you do to even go beyond that? Right, you can do you can do that. Oh, this is giving back to the world. It's like adding a, a mission statement. And like, I'm not just doing science for science's sake. I'm actually making a difference. And that's a way to attract the best and brightest. And they say in the blog post, they kind of give it away. The third paragraph, we hope this is what matters most to the best in the field. Like, they, they, cause they want, they want to get the best. Mm. And, and, um, I, I think to devolve this or not to devolve, but to, to raise this, I, I should actually say to some sort of philosophical argument about capitalism is to avoid the Occam's razor explanation, which is this is strategy one one They're doing exactly what they need to do to, to fight against a, a leader. Uh, if Google is, I think by far in the lead, Facebook is, is second. Um, but it, put those two on one side. How do you fight back? This is exactly how you do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the, the argument definitely uh, 
the argument definitely carries some weight. And I had the the benefit of uh, I had the benefit of getting to read what you had to write before publishing my own thing. Um, I so. There are a couple of points. I guess this this warrants a deeper exploration of artificial intelligence. And I I realize that neither of us are experts and we may get onto shaky ground pretty quickly. But if, uh, help me understand this. If, if, if uh, Facebook's open sourced its approach to infrastructure and Google's open sourcing the algorithms that it's developing on top of its infrastructure and on top of its uh, data, then what is it that, like, what benefit, like, like, isn't it the algorithms that ultimately you're after? So when you have your own data, whoever you might be, whether it's Tesla or so on, if you apply that data on top of your own infrastructure to the algorithms that Google releases, why, why bother creating your own? Well, Google, the, the algorithms, Google's releasing a, a learning system, basically. Mm. So, um... I mean, the, the the idea and dream of artificial intelligence, which has always been kind of, it's been 10 years away for 50 years now, mm-hmm. um, it, it has been the kind of master algorithm that that can just deal with the world and all the variability in it right. and make smart decisions and be sentient and all this this sort of stuff that we see in, in films. Did I tell you in Star Wars when... Don't. Don't you dare. <laughs> I haven't seen it. If you do that, I will fly back to Taipei, and there will be there will be two broken arms. <laughs> oh, strong. And that words. would be on behalf of everybody who's listening right now who hasn't seen it yet, too. Um. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, now, needless to say, I lost my train of thought. Uh, you, you, I mean, you're tall. You 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 have the body shape of Chewbacca. Like you're very tall and thin. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, uh, man, where was I going? All right. So, so the, 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 what is the kind of the big advance in artificial intelligence? Again, I, I'm by no means an expert either, but has really come through, um, take chess, for example, right? Mm. The idea of how was chess solved? It wasn't solved by a, a computer that thought like a human that looked at the situation and, and, and kind of like made moves rather it was, it was solved by constraining kind of the, the data that had to be decided. And so there, there was, um, uh, the, the idea was like, so big blue, basically what it, what it did, it, it did something called like a mini max tree where it, it basically eliminated the worst possible outcomes. Mm. Um, and, and because in through massive amounts of processing power, I could analyze all the potential moves and, and things like that. And, and the idea was by limiting the thing with chess is there's an, there's a massive number of possible moves, but it's, it's a finite amount, right? It, it, it everything can, can be known. And so you can limit kind of the problem set, and then you can just apply processing power to it, basically, and and it worked. It's ch- chess has been solved. Um, is that artificial intelligence? Well, no, not really. It's kind of applying overwhelming data in, in a certain algorithmic mm. way to to kind of a known problem set. Well, that's but that's kind of the approach that's been been taken generally, where, where uh, instead of devising the perfect algorithm that can figure out in, in just like this infinitely random sort of circumstances uh, by applying more and more data, you can basically eliminate variables because you can, things can be done and known ahead of time. 
right? And so, for example, Google's self-driving cars, the reason they're driving around again and again, and that's only like a tenth of what they do. They also rerun simulations uh, in their in, in their infrastructure, like virtual driving around. And all it's doing is just building up the data set of experienced situations. Because once the situation has been experienced once, then you can know what to do and what what, you, what should, should mm. be done in the future. Right. That's kind of step one, is just limiting the number of variables by applying overwhelming amounts of data to it. Step number two is, is these neural networks and machine learning, which is devising a new kind of algorithm that basically teaches itself and it teaches itself based on the data it encounters. So uh, the way I likened it in, in this article and the way I think about it personally, maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't, is this: there's kind of like a primordial soup of data where it's all this stuff and you release a sort of algorithm that goes into the soup and based on like the data that it encounters, it kind of changes itself to learn more and to adjust more. And so what happens is you get these algorithms that no human wrote, but a human kind of of seeded at the beginning. And I think it's that initial seeding and the mechanism for doing it. That's what Google's releasing, but the actual learning, the, the algorithm that comes out the other side, uh, that's what is proprietary because it's proprietary because it's, it's intrinsically intertwined with the data that was used to make it, mm. if that makes sense. But the key thing, for, and this is, again, this is, this is another thing that, that, that Google is doing with the self-driving cars. It's a great example. Like at the, the self-driving cars are teaching themselves to drive, but again, it's by, repetition and practice and 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 these real life situations and these offline situations and it's just applying a, an overwhelming amount of data to the problem it, again it works in two ways one eliminates variables and two it kind of trains the algorithm so uh, you said something that the data is intrinsically intertwined with the algorithms that create it so so well because well, the algorithms create themselves from the data like that's that's at a very simplified and core level that's what machine learning is is about and and that's the rationale for why Google might release the algorithms at the outset, but what what it ends up creating in terms of the intelligence at the other side, that's what they're keeping proprietary. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but this, so again, and we may run up against uh, lack of understanding of this topic. But if if the, if what comes out the other side is intertwined with the data that created it, and that's part of the reason Google won't release it, does that mean that anyone who shares data with OpenAI is effectively sharing all their data with the world? I, I mean, I don't know. We're now we're getting in. I mean, I'm already on the like, like you you have cautioned already on the edge of um, what hmm. I know and understand about about this field. But no, I mean, certainly there is a, uh, you know, even even Musk himself, uh, you know, Sam Altman, the head of Y Combinator, um, was very, he's like, oh, you know, we even get data from, from Tesla. And Musk's like, yeah, we have a lot of data. We'll see what makes sense to share. I mm -hmm. mean, even even he's a part of this and he's not sure how much he wants to share of, of Tesla's data, right? But I mean, the other thing too is you get to the motivations here. I mean, uh, weaving, uh, you know, Tesla is ultimately in the long run going to be competing with Google, right? Google is creating self-driving cars. Tesla wants to create 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 self-driving cars, uh, and so uh, and then Sam Altman's ahead of Y Combinator. There's a bunch of start you know seeding startups. Uh, if you want to create an artificial intelligence or machine learning startup, what are you like? The only outcome is to be acquired by one of the big guys who have the data you need. Like the and so that's. 
that's not a uh, a, a maximum return sort of outcome. That's not a a 100x return outcome. So wouldn't it be great if there were another path for mm. startups that wanted yeah. to do this sort of thing? And so, you, again, one, it makes strategic sense. Two, you look at these guys in their background and why they might be interested in it. And I I, I, I described it as cynical, but I, I, it's cynical in a positive way, as in, like, mm. uh, makes a ton of sense. Great for them doing this. So but I – so I, there, before I get to the, like the the main area where I think we disagree, there's there's one thing I guess I want to clear up. If Facebook's Facebook's approach to this was to commoditize the infrastructure, Google's approach was to commoditize the algorithms. Is OpenAI fundamentally about commoditizing the data? Is that what you think the play is from a strategic point of view? Yeah, I do. I, I think like that's that's the that's the idealized out. Well, there's two part. There's two ways to think about it. I think. I think that's the 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 idealized outcome is that there's some sort of data sharing agreement among companies in open AI so that everyone has a chance to compete mm. against against Google and Facebook. So yes, I think that's number one. Number two is there is still the other branch of AI, which is kind of like pure AI, like it um not necessarily machine learning, but but and I, I do think that uh this is where these the more sort of idealistic mission and, and statement comes in. It comes in on both sides. The other thing is if you want to attract the best and brightest in the world, if, you, if you're the best and brightest artificial intelligence researcher in the world, where do you want to work? Yeah. You want to work at Google because you have the best data, right? Uh, and, and so uh, how do you fight against that? Well, one, you figure out a way to get a lot of data. But then two, uh, like – I again I I'm I, I I can hold it in my head that they can simultaneously have a business benefit to open AI and also offer an idealistic vision. Like it's it's a it's a strategy credit, right? I I tur- I used the term strategy mm-hmm. credit in the a couple of years ago uh in the context of Apple talking about privacy, right? For Apple, they don't make money from advertising, they make money by selling devices. So to talk about privacy is very easy for them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, but that doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't mean what they're saying is necessarily a, a bad thing. Um I've obviously have my problems with some of the stuff Cook has said in the past year in particular. Um but uh it's a strategy credit. They get a they get to be great on privacy, and it, it, they're not making any trade-offs to do that. Yeah, no, and I think it's the same thing here with OpenAI. They get to offer this kind of we're helping the world sort of uh, statement, and it doesn't hurt them to make it because it makes good business sense as well. Yeah, I, I guess this is where the tension between our two points of view is starting to come up. I, I, I feel like Apple's model was established – uh, Apple's model was established of like much more localizing things, not n- not being cloud based, not needing to read things, and then they became the big proponents of privacy. I I guess where where I might have a slightly different point of view uh, to you on this, and it particularly relates to Elon Musk. Like again, I I, I certainly get the incentives point of view like from from a business point of view what you describe makes perfect sense and I can't argue with it what I guess it boils down to is a question of motivations for me and um 
maybe I'm being the opposite of being cynical, but it just strikes me that Elon Musk, in so much of what he's done, really um, he, he it really is motivated by this ideological, like, I want to make the world a better place. Like, And you look at the ventures he's been involved in and so on and so forth. And to go back 12 months ago and to read a tweet talking about or read statements talking about how he thinks AI is as dangerous as nukes. Like, do I think that was, uh, that was planted 12 months ago to plant the seed of like creating an open source AI company a year later in order to neutralize Google and, and Facebook? I, it just, it doesn't strike me as um, being consistent. So I, I think Whereas, and maybe this brings the tension between the two approaches we took. Uh, whereas uh, I think your approach was looking at it from the incentives point of view and saying, okay, Musk has this artificial, in, uh, Musk has this car company. He wants self-driving cars. He's going to create, uh, he's going to compete with Google. This makes sense. I actually saw it more from the point of view as like, actually, he is motivated by these uh, these elements of humanity. And I think he is trying to do the right thing. And maybe there's this benefit later on of commoditizing AI so he can put it in the cars, he can create self-driving cars. But it did strike me as, like, it struck me as genuine. And and given it struck me as genuine, that's why I started asking these questions about the system, the, the, the mechanism by which he decided to take the approach. Yeah, but no, that, that's totally fine. But there can be multiple motivations. But even if you want to say that his incentive is to save humanity, mm. he's still taking the right approach to save humanity, to be open, right? And the reason the, it's the right incentive is because that's the only way to get the the data that you need to to compete. I mean – the, the fact of the matter is anyone's – this goes to the point I made about the Y Combinator startups, for example. Anyone starting from zero uh, today is at a massive disadvantage relative to Google and Facebook and, and these other guys. So how else are you going to do it other than uh, trying to figure out a way to get the data sets that you need – to, to compete, I, I don't get making this into a critique of capitalism, I say, is what I'm trying to say. Because this, no matter what motivation you can think of, this is the only plausible strategy to do it, right? Like, if you want to start a for-profit artificial intelligence company, good luck. Your best outcome is to get acquired for Google by Google for like $300 million or something. Which, yes, that's a lot of money, but relatively speaking... Uh, you know, isn't that much. The, and the other thing I would note is this isn't a new strategy for Musk. Like Tesla has famously open sourced its patents. Why have they open sourced their patents? Because they want to change the world and because they're, they're nice and friendly. Um, maybe, or maybe it's because they need, they want to get a, an infrastructure built up around cars, a supply chain built up. And knowing that if you want to scale, if you want to get the sort of broad, you know the the traditional auto industry is not just the the automakers it's the whole supply chain and all the suppliers and all that sort of stuff and if you want to get that sort of scale going on well what's a great way you know what's a good way to do it is to remove remove the sort of uh fear and limitation that patents provide right and was it a nice thing to do as well it was it was but it also made a lot of sense and again i'm not uh i i you can believe whatever motivation you want. And yes, you're uh -huh. right. Musk has been talking about uh, the dangers he sees of AI for, for, for a long time. Um, 
And that's fine. I have no problem with whatever motivation there is. My only point is that I think it's a step too far to take this as a critique of capitalism, which we can have that debate, but I don't think this is evidence of that when you consider the fact that it's the right strategy, one, and two, to your point, everyone involved in this, is, it, you know, they're, they're not, it's not like they had a come to Jesus moment. I mean, everything else they do in their professional lives is, is, is very pro-capitalism. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess that's my point. Everything else that they do do in their professional lives is pro-capitalism. So, so, so what are you going to believe? You're going to believe that suddenly they had a come-to-Jesus moment and they changed no, the, they no, no, about no. the world? Or well, two— yeah. Well, actually, a, a, a little bit. Like, ba- like if you're making a claim that— um, if you're making the claim that this technology is as dangerous as nuclear weapons, and, I, I mean, I, I, for one, believe he was. this wasn't some— prior 12 months thought about it in advance, then yeah, I, I think it's actually a possibility. And the second the second thing I would say is like, I do want to pull apart two things that we're talking about. One is open, the other is not for profit. I'm not talking about the open. What you're describing in terms of open makes complete sense. And yeah, he has used that strategy before in, in terms of uh, in terms of the patents around the electricity infrastructure. I'm not talking about that. I agree with that. I'm talking about the fact they made a decision to make this a not-for-profit venture. Right, but if it's for-profit, uh, that's going to limit the the chances of, of for other for-profit companies participating. Why? B- because you don't – because why would uh, – Mercedes-Benz want to contribute data to this to a to a for-profit company that they don't have a stake in. Well, I mean the same argument could could then be turned around and said uh could well, why didn't they make the infrastructure that he's building around the Tesla charging stations not for profit? If if that's the argument. Because that's a completely different issue. Like the, the 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 that the infrastructure they're building on the profit stations is like Google's infrastructure around their artificial intelligence. It's a competitive advantage that has nothing to do with building up the the, the scale of like the supply chain. I mean, uh, they OpenAI or any startup is at as at a huge disadvantage. So it needs to maximize the opportunity to one get talent and two get data. The best way to get talent is to make the uh, is to make it as open as possible, and to have the mission statement be as you know you're tapping into the non uh, the, the 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 parts of of a person's motivation that aren't monetary focused necessarily. Although I'm sure they're paying very well, um, and aren't and you're asking them to enter a professional environment that is arguably less ideal than what they get elsewhere. Why would you do that? Because you believe it. It's worth it that that the the uh, you're doing something greater than yourself. You're serving humanity, right? So it works there. And then two, when it comes to getting data, uh, what like what's why create it for profit? Like what what's what's the point in handicapping yourself? The big payoff, the big payoff is having a artificial intelligence infrastructure and software available that can rival Google, and that's a multi-billion dollar issue like that pale that puts this billion dollar investment into a pittance to to try to skim off a profit from your investment is to focus on the forest on the trees for the forest yeah i i i mean i i under i I totally understand what you're saying if it's as 
if it's as if it's as big an issue as what you're describing, and it's I. I <laughs> Well, here's the, here's the other thing too. Mm. I mean, the, the other this is what bugs me about it. So all this stuff here, like I'm fine. Like go ahead, like take your strategy credit. What what does what does bug me is um, <laughs> it I have a I have a it, if artificial intelligence is as dangerous as a nuclear bomb or whatever you know language is being used. Um, I don't see anyone arguing that the best way to deal with uh, nuclear bombs is to let everyone have a nuclear bomb. I mean, this is like the, well, we should avoid this probably, but let's give everyone a gun. I mean, sort of, sort of, sort of outcome. Um, The, I mean, I would like to see a little more evidence that having, giving everyone the capability of a, of a quote unquote nuclear bomb like tech is the best outcome. And frankly, I don't like, I'm more annoyed by it because I'm not nearly as convinced about the artificial intelligence being this degree of danger as, as Musk is. And I'm not comparing myself to Musk. He knows a lot more about pretty much everything than me. I get that. Um, Rather it's more, it's more, it's a more question of two things. One, just in general, as a rule, I'm not sure I buy it. And two, like I said, like, actual artificial like sentient type artificial intelligence has been like 10 years away for 50 years. And I, I, I'm not convinced that we're ever going to even mm. get yeah. there, but I mean, but I, 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 I might be wrong on that, sorry. but no, it's fine. But I'm no, not, I'm, again, I would like to see some more evidence that just giving it to everyone is the, is the right yeah, answer. I mean, I, when, when it's interesting, I simply by virtue of the massive amount of computational resources, and I'm assuming still massive amount of, well, no, it's it's basically computational resources. Like once the point that this thing becomes sentient, if it ever does, it doesn't need data. It's already sentient. It responds to whatever data. But I'm assuming that running a sentient machine is still going to require a huge volume of of computational resources, or at least the most powerful ones will have the most computational resources. And then I begin to think of it less as like handing out guns to everybody and, and more as... Um, thinking about it like nuclear weapons which to be fair i think you would you would say that uh like uh, uh proliferation of nuclear weapons the fact that large rational actors had access to them has actually uh resulted in an extended period of world peace rather than uh rather than the gun analogy in which like lots of guns in society results in lots of people dying so again sure this- sure it, but it, it's only the large rational actors like the big worry the big fear is the small irrational actors getting access to them but it, I, I, assuming yeah I, absolutely but assuming that uh assuming that there is some correlation between the extent of uh, how powerful that AI is and the fundamental infrastructure that it's running on, assuming there's some kind of relationship, it would tend to favor large rational actors. And also to that, the point around the motivation of this being quite pure, I do think that um, it, assuming these guys are the ones to crack it, having an open, uh, an open institute in which uh, the people who are working on it are are focused on safety as a like I, I feel like the order of principles is very important with these things and and the one thing I will say is that having uh, an uh, an 
an organization where profit isn't the primary motive, but rather these people who, again, I I think their motivations are pure and I, I take them at face value when they say, it's going to be safety is like our number one concern. Like thinking, like developing something like this and having that principle at the top of the list, I actually think is a great thing. Well, sure. But oh, I, I guess there, there, there's one particular phrase you said that I would kind of pick on. Mm. And that is uh, you talk about pure principles. I mean, yeah. I don't I, I, I don't think the principles that I described. And again, this is why I hesitate to say that I'm having a cynical attitude because I don't think it's cynical because I think it's perfectly a perfectly valid motivation. Like, I, I mean, wanting to compete with Google and Facebook, I think competition is a good thing. I mean, maybe this is where I get the I'm a, you know, a. Uh, cold-hearted capitalist or whatever, but what I, that's a perfectly fine motivation. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I it, it, If anything that irks me about this, it's the um, not wanting to own up to that being the motivation. And, um, mm. and because what's wrong with it? What's wrong with that being a motivation? I mean, I, then again, I, you I, look I, at people going nuts about Mark Zuckerberg giving money away and maybe, maybe I can understand the, the point. Well, but. I mean, I, it does. I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting point because if 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 that is indeed the motivation that they're they're flatly lying and and this is where I guess what well, no, motiv- I don't think I don't think they're lying. I think it's possible to have multiple motivations. Like, but, well, and, and I mean, totally they're at least fine. being. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, no, the, 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 go ahead. Um, I, I don't, I don't think they're lying, but again, like uh, it, it, maybe principles is the wrong way of describing it. Priorities is a better way of describing it. And, and priorities are only, uh, uh priorities are only valuable when you can rank order them. And, and at least uh, in terms of the way they're presenting it, it it's maybe, maybe they're not lying, but they're misleading in terms of like the way they're describing this to the world. Uh, is to my mind, I, I I think that the number one priority for them is what they have articulated, and that's where that's what my argument fell out of. I think they are focused on safety. There is this broader concern around the impact this might have on humanity, and that's why they've chosen to do it. I guess what you're saying, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, is that really this is a secondary priority, but it's just one that they've chosen to focus on uh, for expedience in order to recruit the best people and to be able to paint themselves as like uh, as doing the right thing when truly they don't have capitalistic motivations. And I, no, no, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, no, you're, you, you missed it. What I'm saying is th- it doesn't matter what their priority is. This is the only rational way to approach artificial intelligence in a world in which Google and Facebook have such a head start. That's what, that's what I'm saying. And so I'm saying it doesn't matter what they, if they're, it doesn't matter what their motivation is. This is the only rational outcome. And so by extension, I wouldn't read too much into them having organized it this way. Like, and I guess that's my beef with your article is you're like, well, they organized this way. What does this say about capitalism? What does this say about the best way to do something? I think it doesn't say anything because it's the only rational thing to do. You know, it's like, um, you know, I, I, I was very hungry, so I ate something. What does yeah, that say about but, his but, his feeling about so, food? So, so it says me, I was hungry. You know, let me what present, else was he going to do? 
Let me present an alternative view though. What about what about they do a profit sharing with all the organizations uh, by volume of data that they put in? Like Why? it provides an in, because it provide right now there's very like if you're an organization on the outside, the marginal benefit like this is a bit of a prisoner's dilemma. The way they've actually structured it creates a prisoner's dilemma. Like you share the data, you risk your proprietary data getting out into the world somehow. But you have like, no chance on your own. That, that's, but, the, but, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, but the, the chances are you're still not going to have any chance unless there's a massive collective action issue. Now, if you were to say to people, not like it, it's uh, like uh, we are going to profit share around like the amount that you give us data, you'll end up getting a profit. You'll end up getting profit back based on the amount of data that you share. And it, there's suddenly an incentive to share that data. Like there's a profit motive attached to it. Like we're, we're talking about small. Small beans. I mean, we're, this is a, a a billion dollars, a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. It's a tiny amount of money, it, and the 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 motivation for different companies to contribute to this and to share is that their core business is at stake. And and I don't think people are going. Um, I like there is a trade off when it comes to introducing this. Uh, and I don't think it's it's like if if someone's not motivated by the fact that on their own they don't have a chance in this arena and so they need they need to work together then the ability to make a couple hundred extra 10 million dollars or something or whatever isn't going to be enough to motivate them and you're also introducing the downside of now you have you've 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 uh muddied up your mission you've made it less pure like yeah. you there's there's lots of down like I, I, I accept that. I, I, I What you're saying, I'm shooting from the hip here, but I really do feel like that this model is creating this massive collective action problem where everybody wants everyone else to share their data, but the amount of marginal benefit you get for sharing your own data is probably greater than the potential risk you get for sharing the data. And you could even see that in the interview when Sam Altman was like, oh, well, maybe we'll share things, maybe we won't. I don't know whether we will. No, I agree. I'm not, I'm not at all sure it's going to... I think that that's a very fair point. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, no, it's not at all clear this is going to succeed because, yeah, why you need everyone to kind of agree at the same time to share. And, um, and, and that's a very fair criticism. That doesn't change the fact, though, that uh, getting everyone to act in concert is the um, or that this approach is the only one that might work. I mean, now we're on to step two. How do you actually get people to to participate? I don't think that a profit share would be nearly enough incentive to overcome this. Like I think companies are either going to figure out that they need to do this or they're not. And then, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, I, it just depends how many companies that you think would need to band together in order to match the Facebook Googles. And I, obviously I think it would take a fair few, but if, if the, if the quantum of the benefit of how much AI would be worth is as great as what you describe, let's say you get the next top 20 companies, like you get an SAP on board, you get an Apple on board, you get an Oracle on board. Uh, maybe you get a, a GE on board. Maybe you get a GM on board. And I don't know, maybe at that point you're starting to get enough folks with enough data on board to match a Facebook or a Google. Now, right. if it's, if the, it's key there, the key to remember, though, is the, 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 a victory for GM, for example, General Motors, uh -huh. is not to have superior data or AI to Google. It's to neutralize Google's advantage. 
right? The motivation of the leader is different than the motivation of the follower. The motivation of the leader is to maximize their advantage and to leverage that into differentiation and a moat. The, the, the motivation of the follower is to neutralize that advantage. It's different. And so uh, that's why the, the profit mode makes less sense. The goal for GM isn't to differentiate themselves based on their data. It's to make sure that Google doesn't race out dramatically ahead based on their data. Maybe. I mean I mean I, I, I totally I totally I totally get your point. And in a lot of industries I would agree. Like I would just focus on neutralizing this. But if this is becomes as big a thing as I think it's gonna be, I, I think based on what you've said, you think it's gonna be, actually getting in working working with a small group of companies in order to actually potentially leapfrog Google and get out in front and win this race and have a profit motive attached that's actually i don't i don't think this is as peanuts as you think it is i actually think a you've created a solid incentive for people to data share as opposed to right now you have this prisoner's dilemma um well, I mean, I'd, I'd like a unicorn too, but I mean, we like what what is what is real what is realistic given the the current state of the industry. I, I mean, it's a reasonable question. I, I, I it's a re- look. I, I wanna, I wanna I acknowledge what you're saying, and I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, completely. Uh, rational and reasonable. I guess my reaction to what I saw was different, but that's not to say that I, 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 I don't. It's not to say that I disagree with what you're saying. I guess that it just my reaction was a slightly different take. And yeah, and we, and we didn't even get your reaction, um, which is um, you, you, you were kind of. I guess you were raising questions about like kind of capitalism in general. Stop, I guess my, stop saying it with that tone of voice, Ben. Like no, there was no tone of voice. I, I, was, okay. I was trying to be clear. Uh, you were raising questions about how we incentivize innovation and, and, and yeah, about capitalism. And um, my whole point was like, that's a fair debate to have. But I think to say that that is a core issue here, that's like, it's like we can have a debate about privacy, and uh-huh. it's a it's a good debate to have, but you can't say that. Uh, but I just think it's it's going a step too far to say that Apple uh, is embracing privacy because it's a moral. Yeah. You know, no, no, no. It's just like, I, I agree. I I mean, it just again. I think it comes down to a question of whether you take what they say at face value or not. And I think you're raising some perfectly, um, some some like some not. I was about to say perfectly reasonable, but that's that's almost like. That's almost being uh, uh, derogatory. In fact, like I think you're raising excellent rationales for why alternative rationales that were unstated as to why they might do it. And I think what I did was I took them at face value, whether that was naive or not, and then started using them, like using me taking them at face value, then caused me to ask a series of questions about the system. It's like, oh, you trust the system for all these other problems. Why don't you trust the system for this problem? Is it because the problem is bigger? Well, there, there is a bigger issue here, actually. And I think this is the question that's worth asking, not just in the context of AI, but in the context mm. of all this sort of stuff. A core part of um, the sort of winner-take-all characteristics of the internet and kind of the mm. aggregation theory and all the stuff I've talked about is these companies 
get in virtuous cycles where the bigger they get, the more advantage they get. The more mm-hmm. customers they have on board, the more the suppliers, the more they modulize and and uh, commoditize suppliers because suppliers have no choice but to go anywhere else, right? If you're if you sell stuff, you have to deal with Amazon. If you're um, if you're a hotel, you have to deal with booking.com, for example. Mm. If you're a newspaper, you have to make yourself available to Google. That's probably one of the best examples, right? There's mm. the there's the examples of newspapers demanding that their stuff be taken off Google News, and Google's like, fine. And then like two weeks later, they're like, oh my God, bring us back, right? Because Google has aggregated the users to the extent that um, you know, the other ones can't go go anywhere else. And so that if you want to uh the implication of that is there's these big sort of winner take all markets that aren't necessarily about traditional network effects. The traditional network effect is your, uh, a traditional network effect is like Facebook where the more people that are on Facebook, the more valuable Facebook is Mm. to everyone on it. Right. That's about, that's all about the users. The more consumers there are, the better it is for all the consumers. This is a two sided network effect. That's different in that the more users there are, the more suppliers you get, the better the product. So Uber, for example, the more riders you have, the more drivers you get, the more drivers you get, the better the product is, the more, the more users you have. And this is the key thing. People have always gotten wrong about Uber. It's not about drivers, even though that's the scarce commodity, because it's about what in, what gets the drivers on the platform. That's having more and more users. And the reason Uber wins is because it wins on the consumer side. And and so the key is if you – and that does have – it's certainly a question worth raising uh, about how we want our economy to shape in the future because unchecked, you're going to get more and more dominant players in all these different verticals because that's how all the incentives and the structure of – the internet works with, again, with the zero distribution costs. So you can serve all customers and zero transaction costs. You can serve all customers. Like all companies used to be naturally limited in, in how big they could get. That's not the case anymore. Right. Um, and so how do you think about that? Certainly data is a big part of this. Like if a, if, if a government, for example, wanted to limit the size of a company, they would force the the sort of data and the customer list to be open, right? Imagine if, in the case of, um, you know, Amazon, your 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 wish list or your whatever were, were made more public. Or again, I, I I'm skeptical this would work, but this is the angle that would be taken to break these things up. And in that in in that context, um, you know, th- this is. Actually, OpenAI is kind of a model here. Like you have to go for the 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 aggregated part, whether it be data, whether it be users, or whatever, and get that out. Um, and and that's, I mean, that's I think a very valid debate to have because there's no question that our the way our economy is structured and under the capitalism incentive, you have this issue of people self-selecting into monopolies, right? And so it's not really a monopoly. It's not really can be served by traditional antitrust because people are there by choice, right? Like how can Google be a monopoly if anyone can switch to Bing at any time? Um, And it's a, it's a fundamentally different question that we haven't had to deal with. And there's lots of questions and debates to be had there. And I think that's a, very uh, fruitful and productive place to that this debate could certainly go. So, 
so uh, uh, this is interesting. So what I'm hearing is that the uh, we've talked about uh, uh, regulation and the nature of monopolies and in the past and how in the past monopolies have come from uh, uh, resulted from a scarcity. But but the point that we've made previously is that monopolies now are actually resulting from an abundance and sorting through the abundance or having an abundance of users and it, it enables them to get better and then more users opt in. And so what I'm hearing from you is that actually one one potential approach for regulation of monopolies is to understand that, that uh, whereas in the past it might have been constraining supply to drive up price, now monopolies are, are winning on the basis of something else, and be it data, for example, with Google. Uh, and if you want to try and regulate it, or if you want to prevent these monopolies from forming, that really the, the angle to, tr- to the vector of attack, and I'll use attack in inverted commas, would be to focus on that thing that they have that effectively the element that they're choosing not to open source out into the world. So Google's open sourcing its uh, algorithms, Facebook's open sourcing its infrastructure, whatever it's not choosing to open source, that's the element that is actually allowing to the that's uh, 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 allowing the natural monopoly to form. And if you wanted to break that down, rather than uh, use a traditional uh, remedy, you might focus on that thing that they're guarding so tightly. Yeah, which I think is kind of self-evident. That's the right. reason they're guarding it so so tightly, right? I mean, yeah. If you if you if you want to if you want to break up Google, uh, you make you make it. Um, and this is kind of the EU is kind of through a very roundabout way getting to this. You make personal data, uh, and this is this, but they're not quite getting to it it's because they're focused on the privacy angle, right? Right. They're they're making it so that people can withhold their private data. Well, that that's fine. That that hurts Google a bit. If you want to really hurt Google, you actually go in the exact opposite direction. You make every you make all the data available mm. to anyone and anything, right? So, um, so it, it is self evident uh, when you say it like that. But to be fair, I'd never heard it articulated like that. And I I actually think yeah, it might be self evident based on the conversations. But it's actually novel to hear someone articulated in that way. So I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. Oh well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, which, which I think is, I mean, th- this is the when and if government uh wakes up and starts to understand what's what is happening with technology and how it's changing and how the rules of of business have again, if you go all the way back to first principles, yes, business remains the same, but most people don't go back to first principles. Like things have really fundamentally changed. This is the key crux that's going to come down to. Mm. And again, this is what's so fascinating about 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 the the EU point. Like the EU is our European Union is arguably going in the exact opposite direction when it comes to regulating Google. Right? Mm. If you want to, the the best way to regulate and limit Google's power is to is to have data more open, not less. Mm. And uh, and that's going to be a very hard thing for government and regulators to wrap their head around. The reality is, as you, I mean, as we've discussed, I'm I'm definitely a cynic when it comes to privacy and data. Like all, all our data is out there. Like I believe already. Like this is like the this is the gun example, I guess. It, like the gun's already out there. Let's give everyone the gun. Um, hmm. But that will do more to 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 spur competition in all kinds of areas um, than uh, 
than just trying to to stick your thumb in all the multiple yeah. holes in the dike. It's, it's funny, these different government situations highlighting different elements of this. I, I, I feel like uh, the Chinese government have come at this from a different angle and they're probably primarily more concerned about controlling the data and controlling the flow of information. But they suddenly have demonstrated this winner-take-all type, like the fact that there's natural winner-take-all uh, a, pro, a natural winner-take-all market by virtue of closing off things like Facebook and so on, and and these natural homegrown versions spring up uh, in their absence, and it typically is is one of these companies that ends up dominating, just like the West. I'm actually, on some level, kind of a little bit surprised that more governments haven't taken that exact approach as almost like an economic development plan, where you recognize that one of these things ends up winning. Why not make it be your homegrown one? Why not ban the the, uh, the I'm gonna the, the the foreign one to wit more often than not the American one and let one spring up naturally and have that be domestically owned? Well, I, it's, it's, it, that's a really interesting point. I think the issue is kind of the horse is out of the barn in some respects, yeah. right? Like to cut off Google now is would be to dramatically harm your your economy and all the businesses in it. Mm. And, and whereas, and this is a big thing with China in general, and why so much about China is irreparable irreplicable um and like how how was it that yes china is certainly having growth problems now but how was it that they did grow for so long it's because they like strip mine the country to nothing right like i mean people don't very few people in the west really understand like what happened to china during the cultural revolution and and the great leap forward and all that sort of stuff like the country was utterly and completely devastated not not, and not just like tons of people dying infrastructure gone uh taboos gone uh like social mores gone like everything was gone it was like starting from scratch and guess what you start from scratch it's easy to grow for a long time because the denominator is 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 small for a long time right <laughs> the problem with the u.s growing for the u.s to grow uh 2% a year is actually in absolute terms a massive amount of growth mm-hmm. right because the denominator is so big well, if your diamond is small, it, it, it's easier to grow for a very long time. And China's was basically zero. And and I think that applies to the internet, right? They started heavily regulating the internet, what, 19, in the late, you know, right from the beginning. Mm. And so, you know, Baidu and uh and Alibaba and, and and Tencent, kind of the big three, all got their start back then. And and so they grew up in in kind of an evergreen environment. Mm. Yes, Google was there, but it wasn't very good. And like, and, um, and the other thing people don't realize is Baidu kind of beat Google fair and square. Google was losing when they pulled out. Um, but um, that's a whole nother, that's a whole, that's a whole nother debate. But I think that it, I, I love your point. I think it's interesting. I think the problem is, and this is the whole problem with all these internet companies is like once they're established, like, yeah, it's I mean, so tricky because they're, they're good. Like having Google is a good thing. It makes life better. And frankly, having Google, yes, Google doesn't scrape Yelp anymore, but I wasn't opposed to them doing it as a user. It, like, I don't want to go into, I'm sorry, not a Yelp fan. Like I, I would like to be able to search for something or on Google maps and find something and get what I want to know right there. Right. Mm-hmm. And for, and that's, what's so tricky is so much of the stuff. You get this virtuous cycle where it's a superior user experience to have a monopoly. And so that's why people self-select into it. And it's not really a monopoly because people are self-selecting. And it's, it's, it's why it's such a, a sort of intractable yeah, I, problem. 
No, no, no. I, it makes sense. At the same time, I mean, you still want competition. Like, do you think that the Google service around local would be as good as it would as it is if it hadn't been for Yelp kind of paving the way? And do you think? like future Yelps are going to be quite so quick to jump in given they've seen what Google has effectively done to them, which is cut them off at the knees by... So so I get what your your point yeah, and to, is. To, to be clear, Google, I mean, because I every time I say this, somebody at Google gets mad at me. They don't scrape anymore. Uh, they what, what they did or did not do is a matter of contention. Um, no, but it, and that's kind of the more the European approach, right? The European approach to competition generally is to... Uh, is to not look at it from the user perspective, look at it from the competitor perspective with the assumption that in the long run, more competition mm. is good for users. But what's funny is, and this is this kind of tension in the short run, it's arguably it's, it's, it's worse. And it's like, um, it's like Apple with the app store in, in, in a sense, right? Uh, I'll be on Apple about the app store because I think in the long run, having these, uh, sustainable apps will make the iPad and I, you know, iPhone better, but in the short run, having cheap apps is great. It makes the, the platform better, right? So there's this tension between the short term and the long term that I think that's a small scale example. When you get to things like um, Google and Amazon and and entire sectors of the economy, mm. uh, it, it's a much more – and it applies to these countries. Yeah, sure, the block out Google. Well, you're killing yourself for the next 10 years. Is that worth the long run payoff? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's too late for Google. But for example, Uber and all the fights that are happening around Uber, like I'm actually surprised that more governments haven't made an arbitrary decision to block it and encourage it. Like, okay, all you guys need to do is copy what they've done over there, like make for homegrown services. But it, I, I feel like it's a whole nother discussion. There's, there's actually one other point that you raised uh, maybe a minute or two back that I also think is it may end up being a whole nother discussion, one that we have another time, but your talk about growth and the way we measure growth, and that's fundamentally GDP. And one of the the themes that I've been, I, I keep seeing pop up on Twitter and I find it absolutely fascinating because it, it's related to this conversation in that the, the old way of doing things isn't necessarily working anymore. And that is the question as to whether GDP is accurate, re, accurately reflecting economic growth as more and more of our society moves online and things like Facebook and, and so on emerge where it's not necessarily clear that there's easily measured monetary activity, but clearly there's economic development happening as a result. Yeah, I mean, we're we're already eight minutes over. This this is an yeah. entire another another podcast. We we I think we've 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 yeah that that's a that's an entirely different podcast. Okay, I'll uh, yeah. I wondered whether it might be. Maybe that was me tabling it for future conversation. Yeah, f no, fair enough. Um, no, I think um, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I think the uh, there there are certainly uh aspects. I think one the, one connection that we didn't make is um, you know, we did the we talked about drones like a year ago, and mm -hmm. there's a there's you could make a similar, have a similar debate about artificial intelligence, particularly if you think it is dangerous, um, you know, and, and mm. go back to that. So we'll just link to that. You know, I mean, it, it's the same, a lot of the same ideas, I think. Yeah. Uh, we spent more time on kind of the motivation of this group. Um, but yeah, well, it's, uh, um, we will link to your piece at, at the at the Harvard Business Review. And uh, and I, I did write about it uh, in the, uh, in the day, in the daily update. So I think Wealthfront, uh, again, sponsored by Wealthfront. Uh, Wealthfront automates habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis, but normally aren't. 
Investing is a marathon, not a sprint. And little things you may not be familiar with, like tax loss harvesting automatically, rebalancing and smart dividend and reinvesting can add up to very large amounts of money over time. Wealthfront does all those things to your money automatically. As an exponent listener, you'll get $15,000 managed for free if you decide to open an account. But just start with seeing the portfolio they would suggest for you. Take two minutes, fill out the questionnaire at wealthfront.com slash exponent with a small e. It's free, and this is the best part. You don't even need to give them your email address. Um, so our thanks to Wealthfront. Yes, thank you, guys. Imagine what they could do with artificial intelligence. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Wealthfront is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risks, and there's the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Well, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone, and, and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, you too, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a fantastic and festive holiday season filled with family and friends. Yes, uh, and we will we will be back uh, the first week of January, which I believe would be uh, um, we'll we'll see we'll see exactly exactly which date whether it's the the January third or January or no we're looking at we'll see we'll, 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 I think January fifth would be would be the day. Very good, and I I hope you're you uh, January eighth. I can't read. January 8th. Uh, and I was about to say, I hope you've, you've continued to mend. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, sounds good. I will, uh, I'll talk to you in a little bit. Sounds good, mate. Take All it right. easy. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye.